another episode of Gravely Unusual Lives, the most unusual podcast with even more unusual guests. Hosted by the publication's grim scribe himself, Edwin Callahan. This episode, Edwin talks comics with creator of upcoming series, True Cult, Scott Brian Wilson. Edwin and Scott discuss the industry, the creative process, and all things unusual. listening to this podcast, I need you to ask yourself a question. Are you unusual? It's funny because when, you know, I think when you first started the magazine was when I had started doing a bunch of short horror comics with several collaborators but a lot of them with with uh with tom napolitano and we were kind of looking around to figure out what we were going to do with them uh you know whether we were going to just publish them in an anthology or something and then you came along and i was like dude let me just vomit up all this stuff i have for you right here uh so it's been fun to have like an outlet for for some of these weird little stories that i don't think uh that I don't think would, would have a life anywhere else. In fact, I know I told you that the story that was in issue two, Providential Entombment, had actually been rejected by uh, a comics horror anthology because the editor said that uh, the readers would find it too disturbing, uh, which I think is maybe one of the best compliments yeah. I've ever had as a writer. <laughs> uh, awesome. So so uh, I was like, oh, well, then there's only one place for this story. So. It's perfect, perfect to uh, perfect to have you. This is something I've never really asked. Uh, how did you hear about the magazine to even submit? Well, you know, the, I I write a lot of um, I write a lot of prose horror stories and and as well as comics. Um, my my background originally was in prose, um, and but I I still even though I write more comics these days, I I still write a lot of prose horror stories. Um, so I go on a lot of the, um, the, uh, dark markets and horror tree and those type of stories to see what anthologies are putting out calls for submissions. Uh, and I, I think I saw it there and it actually, I think I saw it and it was with like two days left, you know, before the deadline. And I was like, shit, I better send this. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad I, I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad I sent it. Yeah. 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 I forgot I put it on. Um, I forgot I put it up on dark markets, which it's still like the same as it was like it's that that submission thing is still on there i even messaged them like you guys probably should like take that down <laughs> uh but yeah yeah it's crazy that's 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 really cool i'm glad it um worked and got out to people actually that first issue man was like i had no idea what i was doing so getting all these submissions i didn't get a lot of comic submissions um so i got like a lot of you know like short fiction and stuff like that and it was it was miserable um reading through all of that um, I'm sure. It, I'm sure. Yeah, it, you know, it's something I've never done. I've never edited. I've never done anything like that before. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that was kind of like a nightmare. But like, uh, and I didn't have any comics. I was like, what the fuck am I gonna do? Like, uh, you know. Um, but luckily, I found a couple, and yours was one of them. So, uh, yeah, that definitely helped. You know, put everything together. Um, uh, so, so tell me a little bit about True Cold. I got to read. The first issue, which is, it's fucking awesome. Um, super, like I said uh, previously when our failed recording, it reminds me of a uh, 
It reminds me of like a Coen Brothers film meets uh, meets a horror movie, um, like an '80s horror movie with uh, uh, you know this this kind of fast food um, existential theme with it. Uh, tell me a little bit about it and how it kind of came to came to you know the surface. Yeah, so that's a pretty good description, I think. Uh, yeah, true. So, True Cult is a um, it's a a crime comic, uh, crime horror, um, drama comedy, all rolled together um, about a career fast food employee who plots the perfect crime uh, and manages to pull it off as a way to sort of shake up his life. Um, but unknown to him, one of the things he steals and his little heist is uh, a supernatural weapon and the uh, the 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 satanic cult uh, uh, to whom this weapon belongs uh, come after him. Uh, so he and and his fellow uh, fast food employees uh, become embroiled uh, in this battle for this weapon. Um, so it has a lot of um, it has a lot it has it has you know the first issues is it centers on the on the crime itself but it has the hints of horror um but yeah it's it's also has a lot of heavy sort of philosophical gives you the wrong gives you the wrong sort of impression these heavy sort of philosophical themes um and a lot of you know introspective cerebral kind of um the, the inner turmoil of of unhappy people i guess um or people who think their life could be a lot better which i think is probably you know everybody who's alive you know right right i definitely got a personal um sense of you know uh validity with it as you know relating to the character uh marty and um right that marty is his name right right That's yeah, right. yeah 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 mm-hmm. uh so you know and even not just not just marty but every every character um you know like the manager and the person um interviewing for the job uh each character has this kind of uh this mask but marty you get to see behind his mask of how he deals with uh deals with life like up front and i feel like what it shows you is you know there's there's this very which all i know so far is you know first issue you know how it concludes i i see this very uh mundane pessimistic outlook and he's kind of looking to escape it any way he can. I mean, especially if you think about fast food, it's the same stuff every time. And he says there's a line of dialogue where he talks about giving them the same experience every time. Like they talk about the other, uh, uh, during the interview, they talk about the other restaurants trying to give the exact same experience every time. So it's kind of like this lack of individuality I got. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. This, this idea that, you know, and that, that's something that like that, that, that feeds the, the fat, the fast food brand is that no matter what McDonald's you eat in anywhere in the world, it's going to be recognizable as a McDonald's and it's going to taste like McDonald's and it's going to look like McDonald's and it's going to smell like McDonald's. Right. Um, so that, that idea of, of, of having a twist on things, right? Like you're not going to go to McDonald's in one place that does, um, that puts uh, pepper on the burgers, right? Right. Because no, right. none of them do that, you know. And that's not, you know. So there, there is no sense of individuality. And then, you know, you're expected to, to really, you know, 
deliver the same thing over and over and you know it makes the days all the same right so for him i think 15 years in this in the same in the same at the same job uh you know looking for looking for a way out um as sort of the the launch pad to tell this larger story yeah and that's what i thought was like extremely interesting about it is because those are kind of those are subject matters that a lot of people i think are afraid to combat you know and especially with modern comics um and i don't know how you which we'll probably get into that later or right now let's see how it goes i don't know what modern comics you know you read a lot of but i think a lot of them lack a a you know a layer of individuality a lot of them unless it's like a lot of creator owned stuff um mostly right. like marvel and dc there's some stuff i like you know i read for entertainment value but you know then there's the stuff that i really like which is is you know stuff like true cult more personal and um I, I think the horror lies in the fact that it is so kind of like philosophical yeah yeah i mean i i, I appreciate that and you know i think my taste in horror generally runs toward more more cerebral horror and less um outward you know scares or gore or monsters or something like that you know the you know the 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 monster inside is always much more terrifying than uh than the monster outside um from my perspective um so i think like you know making a horror book that where you know the horror is is very much um you know, it's seen from the inside, you know, versus versus being an, an external force, although there is an external force in the book, as you find out at the end of the of the first issue. But um, uh, I think I think for me, that always makes more compelling uh, reading or viewing is, is this idea of, you know, this this thing that's inside, you know, that that needs to come out in some way, you know, and maybe you don't want it to as always. Um, is always you know terrifying that's, yeah, what I, I mean, that's what i think is really cool about it it is you know um horror the real horror is you know what you think about in your mind rather than and you know like you said there is this there's two conflicts going on there's marty's life and then there's you know the the weapon that is introduced which i can't wait to see where it goes like I, it like leaves you on this great cliffhanger in the the middle of the you know of the the restaurant so you're just like waiting i can't wait to see what happens next oh yeah great thank you that's 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 the hope i mean um but yeah what you were asking earlier you know yeah there isn't a lot of real individuality in sort of work for hire commercial comics right like you can have a lot of fun writing superman or spider-man or or fucking whatever you can have a lot of fun doing that. Um, but you're only going to be able to tell the story you want to tell up to a certain point. Right. So I think as long as you understand those are the rules going in, you can make something really good. And I think the writers who, who kind of succeed the most with that, um, people like Graham Morrison, um, are who, who can take whatever you throw at them from an editorial perspective, uh, and just roll with it and make something great. Um, they really take advantage of, of that, of that, um, 
that limit of the medium, which is, you know, you can't do whatever you want because you don't own those characters um, versus doing, you know, a creator own book where you can do whatever you want. There really is no limit, you know, like um, with with True Cult, the, the co-creator on the book is the artist Liana Kangas. And she and I have spent hours and hours, you know, talking about the book um as you do with your with your uh with your collaborators but um you know one of the thing we, we talked about a lot is the sort of freedom to tell the story in any way we want there's really no 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 structure to it uh, in terms of any kind of outside restriction it's only what can we commit to do and what can we get done so you know the the third and the fourth issues are both long th- the 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 third issue is 28 pages and the fourth issue, which is the final issue is 30 pages. Um, and we can do that because we're, it isn't a mandate handed down from someone, right? Like this is our project. We can do what we want with it. Um, but also we can do, you know, for instance, in the first issue, there's a, there's a long, um, the, the, the centerpiece of the issue is a long interview scene where a, a character comes in, uh, for an interview and it goes on for, I don't know, five or six pages, um, which sounds brutal, but when, when you look at it closely, you can see that, um, you know, there's the dialogue, the actual interview itself that's happening. And then there's the, uh, the internal thoughts of, of the interviewer. And then on top of that, you can see in the background of that entire scene, there's something else unfolding, right? So it's a very sort of unconventional, um, unconventional centerpiece for a first issue but we can can do that because there is no um there is no sort of there's no one telling us what to do and what we're allowed to do so we can make it as uh as 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 we can make it as non uh or as unorthodox as as uh as possible that yeah that's what i that's what i think um that's what I think like draws me to more creator owned stuff is, you know, like you were saying, you know, you're limited with superheroes. You're limited with characters that are already licensed and stuff. But that, that, that kind of leads me to a question, which you've done, you've done some Batman, you've done a swamp thing you said, and then I know you did Elvira. Um, how, how do you feel? Do you feel like there is like some extreme constraint writing stuff like that? And is it more difficult to write, um, you know, already created characters, you know, that have, you know, been around for 30 plus years, 50 plus years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Batman's been around for 80 years. Yeah. I mean, yeah, 80 you know, years. I, I, yeah. I mean, it, it all depends, you know, like, you know, with, with, with Batman, you know, there's certain things you're not going to be able to do, right? With Superman, you can't have him laser someone to death with his heat vision, right? There's just things that, like, you can't do that aren't part of the character's story. Um, the other thing is you have to find a new – something new to say that's not been said in the 80-year history of the character, as if that's the case, right? Um, but on the other hand, you know, I think if you're up for the challenge – you, there's an awful lot to be to be done with these characters still you know you look at a character like superman and you think god what's left to do with him you know but th- there's so much there's always so much you know you're really limited only by your imagination so it, it really goes in the attitude you have you know when you go into it um it, you know and it's different because with creator owned work people tend to follow that because they like the creator with 
work for hire, people tend to buy it because they like the character, right? So I'm sure there are people who bought, you know, the Elvira I did because they were my friends or they like my work or whatever, right? But the the majority of people who bought that issue bought it because they're Elvira fans or they're Dynamite fans or whatever, right? Um, so it's a little bit of a different expectation. And I think with a, with a character, you know, the, with a character like Batman, the only way for me to do that character is to just write him how I want and don't worry about what anyone is going to think. Don't care about what anyone is going to think. As long as editorial is fine with what I do, then, then, then you can't think about what the fans of the character are going to think, right? Because you're never going to please hundred percent of the people on it. Um, so, you know, with, 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 a, with, a, with a famous character like that, you just say, all right, this is the story I'm going to tell. And um, I'm going to tell it in this way. And it's going to be awesome, you know. And then you're going to have, you know, if you do the best you can and you make, you know, use the, use the you know, every bit of, of, of creative creativity you have, um, you know, use all, all the skills available to you and your, and your you know, collaborators, um, you know, you, somebody's going to dig it, you know. Um, and it's not going to be everybody because there's always going to be somebody who doesn't like it because it isn't exactly like the Batman that they grew up reading or it isn't exactly like the Batman that they like or it isn't like the Batman in the movies or something, right? Um, but you can't worry about that, you know. You worry about that and you're dead. You're never going to, you know, you're never going to be able to do this, you know. I always find it extremely difficult um, to write with constraints. Like, uh, you know, like they'll have anthologies that are like, this one is themed around satanic pizza or something yeah, like that, you know, yeah, and, and, and I'll, yeah. like, I'll sit there in front of the page and I'm like, all right, I'm going to write some about pizza. And I have this whole idea and I'm like, dude, I just, I can't do it. It's just not, maybe I'm just not to the point where I'm, you know, have that kind of, uh, confidence yet. But at the same time, it's like, I just don't like the constraints. Um, you know, I was writing this one story recently for a, like a, it's like some kind of female goddess, you know, archetype. I don't know, even remember what it was. I was like, well, I, I can, I was already writing a story that's kind of like that. So I'll just like trail with it into the story had nothing to do with that. I was like, it would have sucked if I would have tried to push myself towards that. You know, you can't, for me, it's hard to force a story to snowball that doesn't seem natural, I suppose. So, I mean, I, I definitely like, I, I applaud that ability to you well, know, pull yeah. off stuff like that. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think like, I, I agree with you. First of all, I, those anthologies I find to be kind of dreadful. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know who reads them. The satanic pizza thing, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. And you get some, you'll see some really, really specific ones too. Right. Where you're, you're like, Oh, well this editor clearly just has like, you know, a real personal fucking preference for this very specific, you know, this very specific, you know, elf, pizza delivery boys <laughs> yeah yeah exactly. on bars you know like this very specific things um yeah i find that those probably are are kind of a waste of time in general because unless it's from my perspective if that story gets just from the most practical perspective right if that story gets rejected what are you going to be able to do with it exactly yeah 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 nothing, right yeah nothing and like from that perspective there's no point um, and, but I think like, 
for me, I kind of thrive on constraints because I, I feel like I'm, my ideas get too big really quickly and I sometimes need something to kind of rein it in, right? Like even if it's at its most basic thing, like you have eight pages to tell the story in this Batman book or whatever, right? Or you have, you have 20 pages to do this one issue, right? That helps because then you're like, okay, well, this is too big for 20 pages, so I have to cut some stuff back. And it just sort of helps sort of focus things, you know? Um, so I think from that perspective, that that helps a lot. And I also have, I also tend to think like, especially when I'm sort of s- setting down in my head, how am I going to tell this story? Sometimes it helps to think like, all right, we're gonna tell this story generally in three widescreen panels on every page, right? Mm-hmm. We'll switch it up some, or maybe we'll do some variations on that. But it's the whole, it's, 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 because then I think, okay, so now you have 60 panels, right? Like if it's a 20 page issue and it's three panels, you have 60 panels to tell the story. Can you do it? You know? Um, and, and I think like sort of giving yourself these kind of fences to sort of help, or me especially, these little fences to sort of help me stay focused and to really make sure the story is tight and um and works within the constraints i find that um super helpful but that's because those are constraints i'm imposing on myself it's not that it's the satanic pizza elf delivery boy on mars thing right where i think that really kind of inhibits imagination right because everybody's going to be kind of writing the same thing um so uh so yeah i i I agree with you about the 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 themed anthologies but um i do find that personally constraints um help me uh quite a bit it it helps me to define how i'm going to tell the story yeah Um, it's kind of like a like a the kind of you have like a grid already kind of laid out like uh of what you at least for character development you know what i mean yeah yeah so my 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 buddy Max Fuchs, he's drawing, um, uh, and, and he's drawing. I almost spoiled it. What to said what it is? It's not been announced yet. He's drawing a graphic novel for Dynamite that that uh, I wrote for this um, licensed uh, science fiction property. Um, but we have also been planning this creator own book that we're going to do after, um, and we know it's ten issues, um, but we decided early on let's make let's base it around four widescreen panels, right? In general, every page will have four widescreen panels, although sometimes maybe we'll split them into two, so you have, you know, eight, or you have, you know, any any sort of permutation there, but it's always gonna be four widescreen panels, um, and then everything is based around that. Um, and because the book has a real rigid structure and a lot of characters, this is the best way for me to outline the entire book um because the way i write i've never written something that's you know i've never written like a you know 40 issue ongoing series or something right so i don't know how i would sort of approach that but um i'm doing a thing for dc now uh that's also hasn't been announced that's uh 14 issues and i plotted the entire thing out beforehand and i also made an outline of what happens on every page of all 14 issues 
um, to make sure that the story made sense and to get all the pacing right and to get the timing right for everything. Um, so I think that kind of constraint, like, you know, in comics, in, you know, if you sit down and write a prose novel, you really have no no constraints. You can write for as long as you want. You can use punctuation or not use punctuation. You can indent or you can, you know, whatever. You can do whatever you want. There's really no limit. But with comics, there's always kind of an inherent limit, which is, uh, the, you know, in general, there's like the size of the page, the number of pages you can you can, you know, you can use. The page turns uh, are are a are a are a, a constraint that you have to work around and that you have to always be thinking about. Um, so you know, I plotted the entire thing out, um, so that I would know where all the page turns are, so I know where all the reveals are, so I know where the first page of each issue lands, where the last issue, where the last page of each issue lands. Um, so yeah, I think like these kind of giving yourself these fences and these guidelines or these guideposts um, really helped me as a writer, because I feel like I would get to issue seven and be like, shit, I fucked up. I should have like done this in issue six, but he's already drawing issue six. I should have saved this for issue nine or, or I should have referenced this back in issue three, but I didn't think about it until now. But I think by plotting everything out in advance, you can really make a lot of those references where something gets a callback to issue one or issue 10, or you can lay the foundation for something to happen in issue seven and issue two, but you can do it all at once. Um, so that the book feels, um, like, like it's of a piece, you know, when you read it all at once. So, so do you think you do usually, you know, plot everything out before you, obviously, you know, you write a script or something, but, um, for things that like with true cult did you have everything kind of like plotted out in your head before you even wrote anything down yeah so you know the the, the so for every you know for every true cult which is something that gets made there's you know 40 books that i have in my head you know or 40 ideas that i have in my head um but i can always tell the ones that i really am interested in making because i can almost always see the first two or three pages right away um, and I, once I can, once I can see the first two or three pages, I know, okay, this is, this is something I want to do. This is something I have to find a collaborator to do. This is something I want to work on, you know? Um, so with true cult, I went had kind of a long gestatory period because Liana and I, uh, started working on it probably a year now we probably started talking about it two years ago we probably started working on it in earnest about a year ago and initially we just did uh five pages we did five uh pages just to have a pitch we did the cover and we did five pages uh and a bunch of you know sketches and stuff like that um and i had sort of in my head i had an outline of where the whole thing was going to go but I didn't have every page outlined because I wasn't sure the book would ever happen because we were going to pitch it around. And if nobody took it, are we actually going to do the book? You know, so I didn't quite do that step. Um, and what happened with it is we pitched it around. We actually had interest from several publishers. Um, but that was the first week of March uh, 2020. And as we all know, the second yep. <laughs> week of March 2020 was the old coronavirus. And all the publishers were basically like, putting a hold on everything because the comics industry went down the toilet for, you know, a couple months. Um, so we were kind of regrouped and we're like, all right, what are we going to do? Like, are we going to wait 
a year for a vaccine until the industry is up and we can go to shows and we can talk to people in person again. And so we said, no, let's just make the first issue. Let's just do it. Like, we love this book. We think it's a great property. We think it's a great idea. Let's just do the book. So we finished the first issue. And then a couple months ago, um, as the industry was kind of coming back a little bit, uh, we started showing it around again. Um, and people liked it people were interested in it but the problem is because of the of covid so many publishers are canceling projects rather than taking anything on now right because they're having to like cut their losses and they're having to cut their expenditures going forward because they lost so much money as a result of the couple months shutdown whatever um so we just decided to do kickstarter which we did uh last month in october um we got 300 times our goal or 300 percent our goal um, so we're actually, we're working on it right now, um, to, to finish it. Um, and, um, we have, you know, we had interest from publishers when it was on Kickstarter. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see where it ends up. Um, when, when... Hello. We're pretty excited about it, but yeah, I, I, I didn't actually outline the whole thing until I think we were like, a weekend of the Kickstarter and I was like, Oh shit, this book's actually going to happen, you know? And I sat down and I, I pulled out all my notes and I kind of, I figured out what I wanted to do. And then I realized like the ending was, was, was shitty. Uh, and I called, so you Liana. didn't even have the, the, you were, you didn't have the whole thing finished until the Kickstarter was fully funded at least, you know, like, uh, like in your head. No, I didn't. I mean, I had, I, I had a very, awesome, had a very, had a cool. very rough out, had a very rough outline of what I wanted to have happen. And then I, I realized that the ending was shitty and I, I called, I called Leon and I was like, Hey, I think the ending sucks. Um, let me, I have an idea though. Um, and then I, I, um, I went back, I, I, you know, went in my bunker in my, in my studio and I, I worked on it for a couple of days. Um, and then I outlined the entire thing and I called her and told her and she was psyched. And then I was like, fuck it. And I sat down and I wrote, uh, issue two was already written, uh, by before we launched the Kickstarter, but, uh, I sat down and I wrote issues three and four. And then I called her to tell her that, you know, the good news is they were done. The bad news is there was 50, their 58 pages combined. Um, but she was into it. So it was great. Um, but I wanted to have a real, I wanted to have a real sense of value for, the people who backed us on Kickstarter for those issues. I wanted them to be long. I wanted everybody who reads this book to feel like they're really getting their money worth. Um, because I've backed so many comics Kickstarters and I was so disappointed with the final product when I got it, you know, when it shows up eight months later and it sucks, you know, and it's just like, it's such a, I just, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that. I want to have a lot of value. So the first issue is 40 pages, which is 22 story pages, some prose from me, um, a shitload of pinups from some awesome fucking artists. Um, and then, um, uh, you know, some, some, some little odds and ends to kind of round it out. Um, and then, you know, I wanted all the issues to be oversized a bit because I want everybody who reads it to be like, yeah, I, I got my fucking money's worth on this. Right. Not only like, was this comic really good? It took a while to read and get through, you know? Yeah. Um, like, I don't know if you read or had read just finished, but if you read sex criminals, um, but every issue of sex criminals, like took forever to read. It was great because, you know, you'd read the story and then there's like, five or six pages of insane letters 
from the readers in the back and then the responses from the creators to the letters were fucking funny and it, you know there was a real sense of value that your 399 um was you're like wow i spent four bucks and i spent an hour sitting here and it was fucking awesome and very enjoyable you know um versus you know a lot of times you buy a book for four bucks you read it in five minutes and you have no memory of it uh as soon as you as soon as you turn the last page you know well, was um, sex criminals was that uh was that from image was that a an image property right yeah yeah uh, that's Joe Casey, that's, right is that no, no that's that's uh, matt fraction and okay. Chip is the dark Skull. okay okay oh, yeah um but uh uh but i think like that idea that you know it was a really um it was really packed every month. You know, it really felt like you were getting something for your money. Um, and that's something that spoke to me, um, pretty, pretty heavily when we were, when we were putting true cult together. And then I think about that with all my other, uh, I have a lot of other creator on things that I'm kind of, uh, having a hopper that we're working on, um, with, with a couple of different artists. And I think that, that about all of them, like I want them all to have a real sense of value to people to read it and feel like they really got something, you know, this isn't just, just a, just isn't just a, a comic that we made to make a comic, but that this is a comic that we made because this is a story that had to be told, that hadn't been told. We told it in an interesting way with beautiful art, and then we also packed, you know, rounded out the package with a, enough stuff to really make give you a real sense of value. You know, I think that's a really uh, good idea because you know that's something I find with buying, especially stuff like like Marvel and DC. Sometimes you know. Really, you're reading a you know twenty some page comic, and it's mostly just a bunch of ads, and yeah. you know it it feels like you read it in two minutes. You know what I mean? And that that happens a lot. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll get a stack yeah. of you know example. I was reading, um, what Donny Cates' Venom, like he his like first two books, and I was like, dude, I like read those trades literally in less than an hour. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and, yeah. You know, I mean they're cool. And they're you know they got some really cool like action sequences, but. Then again, I'm like always like let down. I'm like, dude, I could have like lived without reading it. You know, I could have read something, you know, from the 90s that's better, you know, and read it again and be more interested. You know what I mean? And I'm not even like, I'm not hating, you know, it's just, but that's a good approach because I think a lot of like, you know, a lot of the times you read some comics and you're just kind of, you're let down because it's already over, you know, as much as you enjoyed it, you know, and I think that's a cool approach. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I think like I'm I'm a little bit wordy as a writer. I write a lot of dialogue, but I'm aware of that, and so I know that feeling I get when I open a comic and it's just a wall of text and how I go, I can't fucking do this. I can't read this. <laughs> yeah, just looking at it, it just looks it just it just looks so intimidating and like you just know it's not going to be worth it. You know, um, so I'm I'm not unaware of that, and I I I try. I, I specifically set out like, you know, I want to make people go to, to say that the dialogue was great and that they wish there was more of it. They wish the comic was longer, you know, like that's really what I want. Um, and to try to make something that's really engaging um, for the reader. And, you know, with that said, like um, I'm doing a book um, with my buddy Ken Knudsen right now called The Left Hand Path, which is a it's a a sci-fi horror thing and um i'm lettering it as well and it it gets a little wordy in places and i'm like 
this guy is like one of the greatest like living comics artists and here i am fucking like just shitting all over his work with my fucking word balloons you know <laughs> so i'm like trying to like trim trim back like do i really need this here do i really need this here is this is this is this you know crucial to, to telling the story um so I, I think like that really helps as well like especially like lettering myself really helps to um sort of rein in some of my some of my impulses um as a as a writer yeah i dude lettering your own stuff is kind of rough dude <laughs> i i've did it i've done it on um you know, I did it on our comic in issue two and issue one and issue one, you know, I, I'd never done it before ever in my life. So I was like, what the fuck am I doing? You know? And <laughs> it sucked because the artist, I mean, he really didn't, he, he didn't make comics a lot either. Um, he, he, you know, he's good artist, but he just said he'd never really made them. So like, I was like, dude, he didn't put any word balloons. So, you know, I had to go back and, and do make my own word balloons out of like scanned cut out cut and paste you know on oh photoshop God. so i had to do that the whole thing so that's why a lot of it's like choppy and doesn't yeah, make yeah. any sense and you know but it, you know it's a learning experience and i mean uh it's definitely like something like i feel like not a lot of people you know uh show enough respect to because it's definitely a bitch man dude it's i have so much respect and the thing is like you know i i i got interested in learning to letter myself because i am so demanding as a writer that I, I I'm really picky about how the words look and how the words look in the balloons and I'm really picky about like the the presentation of the words themselves and I work with some great letterers but I also don't want to drive them completely insane by asking for revision after revision for stupid shit that nobody but me is going to notice you know um, so I said you know maybe what I should do is just learn how to letter myself and then i don't have to worry about like you know losing friends over you know <laughs> yeah. getting them to change fucking m dashes or something you know yeah um, yeah and, and the first the first thing i lettered was so i did a book um i did a book with tom napolitano called um caves inside of caves uh and tom napolitano who has been my my partner in crime on most of my gravely unusual stuff is known in the mainstream comics industry as a letterer he's been a letterer for i don't know a decade at least and he letters justice league and a lot of really big books for dc um and then when we when we were talking about doing when we were talking about doing uh caves inside of caves i said hey what would you think about me lettering this one Right, like, what kind of asshole asks one of the best letterers in the business not to letter, right? Um, <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah, dude, go for it. I, I go for it, you know." And I was like, "Hey, man, look, if and I said, look, if it's not great, you know, you can you can just you know, you can just do it." And he goes, "No, if it's not great, you're gonna fucking do it again until you get it right." And I was <laughs> like, "Oh, okay, like that's a good attitude, you know." Um, so I'm actually lettering that for the third time now because the first time was fucking terrible. Second time was somewhat better, but I was lettering it in uh, clip studio paint. Um, and then I've, I finally just got broke down and got illustrator. Um, and I'm learning to letter an illustrator and it's, it's, it's a lot, it looks a lot better. So I'm re I'm, I'm lettering that for the third time now, but, um, yeah, again, that was one that we were going to, we were going to, um, you know, print up and have to table it uh, when we table it shows in 2020, um, cause I had a bunch of shows booked and then, um, coronavirus hit. So we actually didn't really do anything with the story. We haven't done anything with it yet. So I think I'm going to finish lettering it and then 
um, once I once I finish this new thing of lettering, we'll, we'll probably print it up and then have it ready for shows in in twenty twenty one. Hopefully in uh, hopefully in the uh, summer. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, sounds like a cool title too. Uh, the caves and in, caves inside of caves. Is that what you said? Yeah, that sounds really cool. Um, yeah, twenty it's twenty twenty four pages of uh, of of horror. Now, um, you you put out uh, unspeakable monstrosity, which is kind of like a compilation. Um, of some, you know, cool i i cool horror comics, you know, and you're, you know, I mean, I'd say you're primarily, the, you know, you do horror comics mostly. That's always mainly your theme, but I don't want to like, you know, pigeonhole you into a certain kind of uh, genre. But but I, I read an interview a while ago with you that said you didn't really watch horror movies. Is that is that true? Is, do you just... Uh, yeah. I mean, I I I well. So uh, before my kid was born, I used to see like 300 movies a year. You know, I used to watch a movie every day, basically, uh, or two, you know. Um, after having a kid, though, I, you know, my, my time was more limited. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm super behind on, on a lot of movies I want to see in general. But, yeah, I don't watch a ton of horror movies uh, I used to not read as much horror, but I've been reading a lot more horror now, um, like in terms of novels um, and short stories and things like that. Um, uh, I, 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 I love horror, but I think a lot of the um, – and there's a lot of really good horror out there, but I've never been a fan of the of the whole like this is so bad, it's good. And I feel like a lot of the horror genre falls in that. You know, there's there's a lot of people who are like – I like the shittiest horror movies there are, right? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, just, that's definitely a big, like, it's like, I mean, that's, like, the schlocky stuff is kind of, like, the thing right now, I mean. Yeah, and that just never, that just never appealed to me. I just, I never found it that interesting. I it couldn't hold my attention. Um, so I think, like, I never got super, super into horror movies because my, especially my roommate I lived with for, for a number of years in college, was super into that and i just it never interested me and i think like i just i i i kind of migrated away from that and you know became interested in other types of cinema um I mean, there's obviously i obviously I, there's a lot of horror movies i love you know um and, now well, what you, know, you I, said you know you uh, there's other kinds of cinema like you're interested in i dude i totally understand because like i mean i love horror movies i love the schlocky stuff i love it um but i love you know like i love uh you know, I like I love Akira Kurosawa movies. I love you know. Sure. Uh, I find horror and that stuff almost more than I do the obvious horror movies. Like I I watch you know crime movies because I think they're horrific in a sense and they can inspire me to write horror. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah. I, I guess I like. Uh, I don't know. I feel like as as a horror fan and someone that is you know kind of dedicated to the genre. Um, I definitely find that, uh, you know, you can find kind of disturbing, disturbing content more from other genres, especially, especially just in general cinema, you know, most, most dramas have some kind of horror element, you know, some kind of disturbing element to it, you know? And yeah, yeah. a lot of people don't realize that. Like I'll talk to, you know, an average person. Yeah. I'm into horror movies and stuff like that. I'm into horror and they're like, Oh yeah, that's like that you know, crazy zombies and all that stuff. I'm like, well, right. I mean, yeah, Werewolves. I guess, you know, but you know, monsters aren't really, you know, 
the monster is a vague term really you know like as an archetype sure. so it's, a lot of a lot of different kinds of monsters for sure. right 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 so right. I, you know i definitely yeah. understand that yeah i mean i think my favorite my favorite horror movie is probably um that michael hanneke movie from 1997 called funny games have you seen that oh, i love yeah love love it <laughs> great movie i mean i right like but it's not traditional horror and you probably don't think of it as horror and i wonder if there's like really if that's a, if that's a movie that's really well known to people who are into horror like i don't know maybe it is but um but for me i think that's just one of the most horrific uh movies there is and uh there's nothing supernatural in that at all it's just straight up psychological brutality but with so much more finesse than like, you know, saw or hostile or something, you know? See, I hate, I hate saw. I hate hostile. I think those are just garbage movies. I hate most horror movies from like, you know, 2000, you know, on, I really, you know, I really don't like that stuff. And, um, you know, horror as a genre, I feel like it's, it's always something that people kind of expect to be, you know, child's play or Freddy Krueger, you know, I, I'm yeah, not really, yeah, a, I'm not a big fan of Nightmare on Elm Street. I think it's kind of a shitty movie and <laughs> I, that's yeah, just how yeah, I yeah. feel, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah funny, I, funny games is great. Um, uh, you know, any, I, I love like, I love Australian horror and, you know, I love kind of like the more obscure genres. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely cool to like, you know, you know, explore other, other realms of what could be considered that you know right right um yeah i i i i i'm a huge fan of cinema i wish i had more time to watch movies these days but i would say from like you know the late 90s to like 2011 ish i probably watched you know 300 movies a year uh and you know of course living in living in new york city which you know up there with like paris as cinema capital of the world you know um just meant that like we could go see you know two or three movies a night in the theater you know yeah, um, man, that, that was probably the, awesome <laughs> see the, seeing you know repertory stuff and seeing foreign stuff and seeing you know um uh silent movies uh uh without subtitles because there are no subtitles available so you read like you know or or foreign movies without subtitles because they're not available so you read like you know a synopsis of the movie before you watch it because that's the only way to see it you know um it was really kind of the 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 golden you know uh golden years of of my time and of my time in new york um as you know because i remember when i first moved to new york in, in 2004 um film forum which is a, a major repertory theater here had this um this uh retrospective of westerns from i think it was 19 it was like 1940 to 1956 or something Dang, like that or dude, 65 did you get There's to see a, a bunch of awesome uh, awesome westerns i saw there were there were 55 and i saw 38 of them Duh, that's and awesome. when and when they were done i was pissed that i missed 17 um so then there were later things they showed like they did a um they did a mikio naruse retrospective that was i want to say it was like 40 of his films and i saw them all even though that meant a couple times i had to like call in sick to work because it was only being shown once you know that's awesome Um, like they had an archival print or something so um yeah just just you know and that was like and and even with michael haneke we talked about him with funny games like there was a 
uh, Michael Haneke retrospective at MoMA, uh, the, or the Museum of Modern Art, and that was right next to my office at the time. And so we went there every night and watched two, me and my buddy Paul, um, we went every night and we'd watch one or two Michael Haneke movies. And then they had, there was one weekend where they showed four on a Saturday that we hadn't seen, like the like some of his really early TV work. And we watched, we sat in the theater and watched four Michael Haneke movies back to back, right? And it was fucking awesome, you know? It's, just, it's amazing. Um, but uh, uh, I don't even know how we got on that. But yeah, I, I just a big fan of like cinema in general. And, um, but I, I, I do love horror. I just, it's not, um, I never find it as, as, as scary as I want it to be, I think usually i think that's what you said in that that interview that i read too like and i i totally agree with that you know it's like it's not really like uh, horror is not really scary to me it's it's spooky you know it's it's as spooky as like a um you know like as an image you know aesthetically you know but as actually something that like kind of jolts you it's not really scary but i could find horror more in a western or yeah. a noir, or a noir especially yeah, or, you know or, or like Mulholland Drive or something right? yeah like yeah for sure I can shit. find something scary in that more than I could an actual you know certified horror like dude right. wh- like westerns I find are the some of the most like creepy shit ever um so I mean that's dude there's a there's a western uh called the Tall T it's from 1955 I think uh directed by Bud Bedecker um with with Randolph Scott in the lead and it is fucking horrifying. Um, the, so he made this string of, of Westerns in the late 50s uh, with, with Randolph Scott. And they were all 62 minutes, 70 minutes long. I mean, they were the B movies. They were made as yeah. the movie that followed the main feature, right? Um, they're all kind of similar, right? They're, they're, they're all kind of similar. Um, but they're amazing. But there's one called The Tall T um, that is absolutely fucking horrifying, um, and it just, and it's not anything you see, it's what's implied. Right. Um, and it's, and when you think about that, when you think about it's, it's not the thing that that's, that's there in front of you, that's scaring you. It's the thing that might be there. It's where, you know, that to me is, is really scary. Always, always more scary than actually seeing it. I, I love the mystery more. I, I hate that, that, and that's something, you know, that's something that I struggle with is when I write revealing too much, even though I want to hold back and not show, but I feel like I'm not paying the audience off. You know, I'm not getting them off reading the story because they want to see, they want to see the blood. They want to see the guts. And you know, the readers are the horror people. And I feel like I owe it to them to give them something nasty. Dude. Like, okay. I I think I told you about this last time we were talking, I've been writing the story called the womb and the whole thing is, you know, that first it started out not showing anything, just very weird, mostly just creepy stuff. Nothing's ever really, like, explained. But then I had to go back and add, like, body horror elements to it, like a, uh umbilical cord, like, dream coming and, you know, choking this guy out or in making him unborn. Because that's the whole concept of it, is being unborn. Yeah. Which is scary in itself. But, you know, I just feel like I have to pay it off. And then at the end, I'm like, I'm just going to make this a comic script so I can just visually tell it so someone yeah, can draw it, sure. you know, and it will be appreciated in a sense 
where the story at least gets told, but it's still not how I really prefer. You know, I'm totally a, sure. I'm totally a mysterious guy. I'm totally a mystery, not showing too much. I like the more, you know, ethereal kind of, you know, digestive horror that makes you think about stuff or just art in general. Like, you know, like just stuff that's not revealed, thinking about it and contemplating it after you've saw the film yeah, or sure. read the comic for, you know, for the next few days that, you know, that that's kind of the stuff I like, you know, stuff that makes you think about it for days and you just can't stop thinking about what it is. Yeah. The, or the imagery or whatever it is, is like, it's it just, you can't get it out of your head, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you know, that's, uh, I, I don't know if you've ever read any like, um, you know, Thomas Ligotti or anything like that. Yeah. 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 That's uh-huh. like, that's probably one of my favorites. Um, and his, his collection, uh, songs of a dead dreamer. There's, I mean, he does like a, a take on the vampire and it's something like I've never even heard of before. Um, it's called, uh, uh, what is it? Oh crap. I can't even remember it. Uh, uh, twilight. Fuck. I can't even remember the, the title of it now. I have to look it up, but he, he, he describes like he takes the vampire archetype and totally like flips it into something you've never even, you know, never really thought of, you know, like it's just sure. something totally crazy. Um, and, you know, though it, I thought about it for days. I was like, you know, uh, it's it just something that just really, really, really stuck with me. So it's, it's you know, creepy the, stuff like that, you know. The first story in that collection, uh, I don't remember what it's called, but um, the one where, you know, the husband and wife are sitting downstairs at frolic. the end of the day. Yeah, Frolic. Frolic. Yeah. Jesus Christ, God. man. That story is fucking brutal. Dude, right? I, and, I read it and, and I got again, scared, man. Like totally yeah, scared dude, that night. Dude, dude. I was actually, I was reading that story when I took my, um, I had taken my daughter to a swimming lesson and I was sitting in like this hot ass, steamy ass indoor swimming pool room at, in this fucking hotel, you know, like the least like horror place to read something with the sound of kids like, you know. Oh man. Yeah. That's like worst timing to read that story. But it was like terrifying, man. Like it, it was, it was so scary. Um, yeah, that that story is fucking great, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I read Frolic. Um, and my my son had just he was still like a little little baby, dude. He was probably like four months old, and I was reading it on my phone, like Whoa. while he was sleeping. So I was like, holy shit! I was like, this is the scariest thing I've ever read, you know. And then, uh, oh yeah, that that vampire story was the Lost Art of Twilight, is what it's called. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's real good. I mean, there's just so much in that collection that are creepy, you know, and that's, that's the kind of stuff I'm going for, you know, what I like to read. And, you know, most people are like, most of the people that I like, you know, converse with that are writers now, they're mostly like splatterpunk, like, you know, still on that kind of, you know, classic 80s style, you know, Clive Barker, stuff like that, which is, I love that stuff too. But, you know, like, I just like the weird fiction, you know, um, that's kind of just my favorite stuff. Uh, which we, we've talked about, um, Cormac McCarthy before, you know? Um, yeah, you know, yeah, for sure. Outer Dark is like, that is one of the scariest books I've ever Dude. read in my life, man. Dude. Um, you know? Yeah, McCarthy is fucking great, man. E- even He's Blood Meridian. So and, and I don't good. even think he even reads horror whatsoever. Like, No, I don't think, no, I don't think that's ever anything he thought about. Yeah. He probably just reads like Faulkner over and over, you know what I mean? And Yeah, yeah. Which, which is totally cool, but like that stuff is terrifying, you know, and that's oh, the sure. stuff you think about for days. When I finished Blood Meridian, I I couldn't stop thinking about it for like weeks, you know. I was like, God, oh yeah, it just you know, it's one of those books. 
Yeah, no, I mean, just just a, a, a phenomenal, uh, otherworldly uh, uh, writer, like just not on the same plane as everyone else, you know? No, no, man. And that's like one of those that's like one of those going to be one of those artists that come once in a, you know, a few generations, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a real shame. Like he hasn't put out a book in a, like, like the last one was The Road, right? And that was. Yeah, in like yeah. That was what? 2000. 2000- seven or six or something yeah yeah Yeah, it was like a long time ago you know like yeah um yeah i I had always heard that he was working on a book about um diving for pearls off the coast of florida um but you know and i just never materialized and i don't even know if that was true but um you know that was always the rumor um but yeah I, i don't know uh yeah i don't know i don't know yeah yeah there's so much there's so much horror to be found and um other stuff and i think that's just a really cool concept and uh you know i I notice in a lot of your comics like it's the horror is something that is so um it's so existential every time um what was what was the one that you did in um issue was it issue two deep space yeah uh Deep Space Vessel Godless. God, yeah, that one, dude. And everyone that, like, all my, like, friends around here, they're like, dude, that one was fucked up, dude. They're like, that, one, <laughs> that one's so creepy. And, and it was only, like, three pages, wasn't it? Three pages, yeah. yeah. My, and, buddy, my buddy uh, my buddy, Marco drew that. And, like, um, he, I don't know. He hasn't drawn many comics. He's really good, but he hasn't he hasn't drawn many comics. And I, um, he was someone I, you know, I would bump into from time to time. And, uh and I, I i saw him at some point and i was like dude, dude let's let's do a let's do a fucking story together man come on i want to i want to i want to write something for you to draw you know and um he was basically like man i don't want to i don't want to draw for anybody but myself but uh i do want to work with you so let's do something right and he's like he's like but i am really only have like the time and like psychological bandwidth to do like three pages i was like then we'll do three pages like here you go right here's a a, a constraint like we're imposing on ourselves yeah right? yeah three- yeah um, which is not a lot of space for a for a horror story, right? Um, although I guess in the I guess in issue uh, five we have the one page horror story, but um, yeah, so it's like a three a three page uh, a three page horror story, right? Um, and I pitched him the idea, and he liked it, and then he was like, he started drawing it, and he was like, he 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 emailed me and was like, hey man, I was thinking instead of like having panel borders, I could just draw some bones. And I was like, yeah, I think that's fucking exactly what the story is, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, dude, the limbs and stuff as the panel things, like as the panels, that was so cool, man. Like, uh, Unreal, man. Yeah, yeah, it was so cool. Yeah, it, it was so much fun to work with him. So like every now and then I'm like, uh, every now and then I'll email him and I'll be like, hey, man, you know, just let me know when you're ready, man, because I got something, you know, I got something waiting for you. So um, yeah, he's a, he's a cool dude. I was, I was really psyched to, uh, to get to do something with him. Yeah, yeah, that one was awesome, and even the one, the new one, uh, you know, it's just one page, but it's still kind of like this. It, it it's weird because it reminded me of I've I've been reading Ray Bradbury a lot lately. Yeah, yeah, sure. He's always on this space. It's always about like space travel. There's a lot of space travel sci-fi stuff, and it's very you know like like peering into like what it is that people want and that story just reminded me so much of like a Bradbury tale. Cause it's kind of like, it's full circle, literally, you know what I mean? Right, 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 so, right, right, right. And it's super cool. Like you, and you want to talk about constraints, man, that's one fucking page. That's, that's really cool that it kind of like came out to, you know, be so entertaining in such a short, 
you know, what is it? Nine, nine panels or something. Nine I mean, panels. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. perfect, man. It's awesome. Did the old, we did the old, uh, Steve Ditko nine panel grid. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's awesome, man. And you know, uh, yeah, it, this is also something, you know, um, you know, we talked about being, you know, you're very, very wordy in a lot of your stuff and, you know, and it reminds me a lot of like, you know, like Alan Moore, sometimes you're just like, damn dude, like finish it up, finish it up. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but reading true cult, you know, I was like, I, I could hear the conversation. I mentioned that it reminded me of, you know, Coen brothers or even like Tarantino or something, you know, like not much is going on, but the whole time that scene is unfolding very cinematically. Like while they're talking, you know, Marty is looking off and is like, Oh fuck in his head thinking something yeah. else is going down so there's a lot of tension building it's like even like almost hitchcocky and how like the you, know, you, you there's a scene where she's um sitting in front of the window and you can see the cars outside and it's so like it's just the even the 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 pov is just like just so on point there um you know I, what was the was was true cold inspired by any like particular movie like specifically or you know like maybe directors or something like that um well I, well so the first thing is with the with that scene in particular and and actually for the first two issues of true cult i actually drew a lot of the layouts for the book for the artist um because she was like i was trying to make it clear what I, what i was seeing in my head right i was like this is how i see that and and with that scene in particular because the angles were so were so specific to what had to happen. I was like, let me just draw you what I'm seeing and feel totally free to like go off script. If it makes more sense, I just want you to see how I see this. So I know I'm not asking you to draw something that's impossible. Right. Um, but Liana was totally psyched and you know, she, she was, she was, she still, she stuck pretty close to the layouts on that scene, but it's her facial expressions that fucking sell it. And it's a body language on all those pages that fucking sell it, man. Um, I think it's just fucking great. Like the, like in one of those, when the, when the cop comes in and you just see him in the background and he's got, you know, his hands on his hips and he's like looking at the menu of the restaurant. And it's just like, it's just a tiny little thing, but I'm like, fuck man, that's fucking perfect. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. But yeah, in terms of being inspired by a specific movie, I don't I, – I, no, nothing specific. Probably inspired by a shitload of movies in the end, you know, things that I've seen and internalized or whatever. Um, I think probably more than anything I was influenced by um, Tarantino in the sense that one thing he does really well is – he can really make some of the most riveting scenes in his movies, ones that have nothing to do with the rest of the fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, like, and I'm a, like I'm a from, huge Tarantino fan. You know, a lot of people talk shit on him, but I always think he's entertaining as fuck. And I mean, a good filmmaker, you know, um, to the point and concise, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think like, I think like if you look at Reservoir Dogs, right? There's a scene where where they he tells the. Uh, um, he tells the the toilet story the bathroom story right yeah and it's like he's telling it to his he's telling it to his like his boss on the roof of that building and then you start seeing it, that story being told as it's happening in the club and then you get a flashback of the story as if it were actually a real thing happening right and it's such an interesting device and it's just a fucking master class in storytelling 
But at the same time, you could take it out of the movie and you would never know it was missing. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Yet it's one of the thing. Yet it's one of the things that is one of the best things in the movie. And I think like, um, I think that really has always stuck with me is like this idea that you can have two people just having a conversation and it's just as riveting as a fucking heist scene or a shootout or something, right? Like a fucking, you know, uh, a gun ballet in a John Woo movie or something, but it's just two people talking, you know? Um, and I think he does that in a lot of his movies. Um, so, uh, but, but there was nothing that was specifically an influence on the book. Um, other than whatever I have kind of internalized by watching thousands of movies in my life, you know? So it's more of like a subconscious thing. Yeah. Like whatever, whatever I sort of, whatever I sort of ingested, you know, subconsciously. Yeah. I definitely find that happens a lot. You know, you, you write something and you're like, ah, it kind of reminds of this movie and I didn't even think about it or this book, you know? Yeah. Um, You always gotta be, you know, it's, it's one of those things like you're always kind of terrified of like, you know, that you're, that you're, you're like, you know, ripping something off, you know, or something, you you know, accidentally there's a, I have this idea for this, uh, for this book and I think it's really good. And I am convinced though that it's been done somewhere else. And so I, I kind of like ask around a little bit, kind of slyly to other people trying to see if anybody recognizes it, you know, um, because I'm just like, I, I can't have come up with this on my own, you know? Um, but uh, I don't know. So far, nobody knows what it is. So I'm I'm, I'm gonna uh, I'm trying to you know I'm just it's one of those things where like, I feel certain I must have gotten it from something you know. But I don't want to like go full steam ahead and it's like oh yeah that was an issue of uh, Power Man and Iron Fist from uh, 1982. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, ah! you never know, dude. You never know these days, dude. It's like people are calling out everyone, and you know that's it's kind of like a it's kind of like rough critique at this point i'm always like man just even like in this last issue i'm like i shouldn't have done that comic i should have that was stupid i should have just <sighs> left my part out you know what i mean and yeah yeah i mean you always like you're always your own worst critic by by a mile you know uh and that's you know i think like that's that's just part of being an artist man you know like i think like uh, i think like if if you were like man this this book is pretty fucking good i'm super happy about it i think it's perfect this is really one of the best comics that's ever been made it probably fucking blows you know yeah like, yeah yeah for sure dude and i hate that too i hate that there's certain you know there's certain comic book like writers especially uh, and that's why i hate social media and stuff dude like i literally would not be on it if it wasn't for graveland usual yeah and, yeah you know i see these Same. comic book writers just talking mad shit and you know, I'm not one to get involved in anything. I don't care. Do what you want to do. But I see them talking all this shit about how good they are. And I'm like, dude, please stop. Like it's <laughs> dude, you're literally just you know, I'm not I'm not a hater. I am a hater personally, you know, I'll talk all this shit at home and I'm not trying to start trouble with other people. I would never call someone out and try to hurt their feelings, even no matter how big they are, or how how popular they are as a writer or artist. But I have I feel like I, I have a have a duty as an artist myself to be able to have a small tiny bit of critique you know to at least discuss with other people so yeah it it, it kind of cheeses me off to see other other 
comic book writers or just filmmakers and stuff, you know, talk all this stuff on social media about how awesome they are. And I'm like, dude, you're, you're just another one of us, dude. Don't, don't try to like hype up yourself, you know? Yeah. And I think like, you know, if, if you have to tell everyone how good you are, you're probably not as good as you think you are. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it really did. Some, some things just grind my gears and that's one of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm with you on the social media thing, man. I'm, uh, I'm, I would I would not be on it if it weren't for for being a uh, a comic book writer because um, as much as I dislike it, you know um, that is the way you engage with fans and that is the way that like people can get in touch with you and people can talk to you and um, for all the like you know for all the 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 stupid shit that comes along with being on there you know I think like um, it does have its it does have its place you know it does have some some value. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, you know, like, like I said, like it's, it's, you know, it's for, it's for business purposes. You know, I couldn't imagine yeah. being on there like as just a normal person, just you know, exposing my life and talking oh, dude, shit. Same. You know, <laughs> same. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, I don't put anything about my personal life on 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 there. You know, I don't talk about my, I don't talk about my family on there. I don't, I don't like talk about you know my personal like shit. It's like. uh you know, I just, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up with the internet. So, um, I think I was like the, I think I was probably the last generation that, that didn't have the internet. You know, I didn't have an email address until I got to college. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just not second nature for me to go on and just like, you know, go on about whatever comes to my mind, you know? So I definitely have a real cautious approach to it that, um, that I think like it's probably, something I have to get over, you know, if I'm going to ever be like, like good at it, you know, being yeah. like good at social media, but it's definitely something that is, uh, it's, it's, it's like you have to adapt to it. And, you know, I see people older than me, you know, like there's like six year old people or even, you know, there's the, the fucking president's 70 some years old and he's like a mad tweeter. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. that's the fucked up part about it. Like, that's kind of like what turns me away. I'm like, dude, if the president's on there, dude, fuck this stuff, dude. <laughs> Yeah, it's like fucking, you know, like your your fucking grandmother's on Facebook. Like, why would you? Why would you be like? That's not cool, dude. I never, I've never posted a like. I never post my kids. Never know, do any of that stuff. I don't talk about like you know like. I, I just it's just not me, you know, and it's just that's just how it goes. Like I, I just I'll always be that way. I mean, you know, maybe there'll be a point in time where there's no way to avoid it. It will be like we'll have you know things in our homes that are you know like hey directly linked into you who fucking knows i really don't know at this point so yeah yeah but yeah that that's 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 how i feel about that um yeah a cool thing i thought about in true cold is you have all these like subtle you know heavy metal references there's like a queen's reich reference and there's some mm -hmm. other ones in there are these like do, do you enjoy those bands? Are you a you're a heavy metal fan and that some somewhat some degree, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, uh, massive, um, massive uh, metal fan. Yeah, um, yeah. There's Queensrÿche references, a lot of Lita Ford references in there. There's a Winger reference. Yeah, the Winger. Really, yeah. Uh, See, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of like like that's kind of the stuff like I grew up listening to because my dad was a huge, not a metal fan, but just like a the vinyl collector. So he taught me yeah. how to use records back in the day. So it, that's when I was like nine years old, I was the only kid knowing how to 
play vinyl. So I was always going home after school and listening to records and stuff. And a lot of it was, you know, like eighties, um, eighties, hard rock and heavy metal. And that, you know, led me down the path of getting into, you know, um, more extreme forms of music. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely cool to see, you know, those things brought up yeah, in the comic. Think, yeah. So, I mean, he's, you know, the, the main character, Marty is, is, uh, yeah, he's definitely like an '80s, you know, kind of metal fan, um, and that that runs through the whole series. He's like, in issue three, someone asks him, like, you know, is there something that you've experienced that you wish you could experience for the first time again, or something like that? And he can't think of anything except he says, you know the first time I heard the first Crimson Glory album, right? So, like, everything kind of revolves around this one thing he really likes, which is, uh, you know, which is this sort of 80s heavy metal. Um, although the first Crimson Glory album, I think, probably came out in the 90s, if I recall, but whatever. It doesn't, the book doesn't play, take place in the 80s, so it doesn't fucking matter, but um, it does have that kind of 80s sensibility. But, um, yeah, yeah, no, dude, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge metal fan. Um I really like um, death metal um, is, is, you know, probably my favorite of all the genres, but I like uh, quite a bit of power metal, um, but mainly, mainly death metal. Um, and then I, you know, that I like a lot of other forms of like extreme music, like free jazz, the real fucking atonal stuff. Um, and there's a lot of sort of electronic music. I like, um, quite a bit. I'm a big Muslim gauze fan. I'm a big Vatican shadow fan. Um, and those are bands that or they're not bands. It's just like solo projects, but, um, those are two groups that I listen to probably every day. Mostly when I'm working, I listen, I'm usually as listening either to Vatican shadow or, or Muslim gauze and they both have massive discographies. Um, so you can, you can listen to them for, for, I mean, Muslim gauze, you can listen to for weeks and not hear the same album twice, but, um, but yeah, um, uh, yeah, death metal. The last the last concert I, I went to before the coronavirus lockdown was uh, Cannibal Corpse and Diarda's Murder, um, and uh, it was fucking awesome. I mean, I've seen Cannibal Corpse. I don't know how many times, but yeah, I've seen um, Cannibal Corpse I, a couple I, times too. <laughs> every, every every time every time I am able to go see them, I go see them. Um, they're just I I fucking love them. They're fucking great. Um, but uh, yeah, man, no metal is a huge fucking part of my life and like um it's something i think about a lot it's something that influences the way i see the world it's something that um influences the way i sort of think about life um and and this this whole attitude of like you know i legitimately enjoy this music like, but like, you know, so many people, it just, it's, it's, it's incomprehensible that it's something you can listen to. Right. Oh yeah, um, for sure. For sure. But, but for me, I, it's like, I get like excited and I'm listening to it like so fucking carefully. And, um, it just, I think like that really is, I, I think in a lot of ways that's like, that's a lot of horror fans are, are can probably identify with that because you're really into this thing. That's really on 
a different, you know, on a, on a different side of, of sort of socially accepted sort of, um, entertainment for, for lack of a better word, right? Like, um, it's just not something that, um, most people listen to, but it's the thing that I choose to listen to because this music speaks to me, um, more than anything, you know, there's a guy, um, who writes, uh, there's this, this metal blog called Invisible Oranges that's pretty good and there's this guy who writes on there named Langdon Hickman and he, he has a thing that he's written a few times where he says death metal is the greatest I'm going to butcher the quote but it's something like you know death metal is the greatest artistic achievement that humanity is capable of or something like that right yeah. which is like I mean, it's I, I'm 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 I I agree with him about ninety percent of the way, right? Like he says that, and I'm like nodding like vigorously, like yeah, dude, yes, you're right. It is this 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 music. This music impacts me the way that few things do outside of maybe, you know, Caravaggio's paintings or something, right? Like, right, yeah, definitely. Though. There know, is, and I feel like a lot of people don't understand that is that this music, especially just metal in general, it has this kind of artistic, deep aesthetic value that's only some people either get it or you don't, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, and I, I, I for me, it's just, it's such a, it's, it's it's funny because it's like you know there's there's a lot of bands that like they're just it's just the shit it just isn't fucking heavy enough it's not extreme enough for me it's not interesting to me like i don't really find metallica to be all that interesting as a band i don't i don't they're not they're not brutal enough you know no, yeah they're uh, they're definitely i mean they're to me they're like the worst of the the four big yeah, thrash yeah. bands are like my least favorite <laughs> i was i was thinking about that this morning yeah i was like i was like you know anthrax is actually probably the best of those yep. four anthrax is, is totally the to best say. i mean dude slayer is cool because you know like they're heavy and stuff but at the same anthrax just especially on among the living and you know spreading the disease even fistful of metal those albums yeah fistful of metal is really good <laughs> it's really so good because so yeah. it's such a great it reminds me of like sammy hagar but yeah. it's so awesome. And, you know, as I get older, man, I get more into, like, obscure, just 80s heavy metal. And I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. I, it has this, like, I've been listening to this band called Samurai lately. And they're just, okay. uh, they're from, like, the UK. From They maybe, like, had a couple albums in the 80s. Great heavy metal. Just, you know, does, they don't make this type of shit anymore. And, and now it's kind of getting popular to do that style again, you know, with, like, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, like Eternal Champion and um, oh, stuff right, like right, that. right, 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 right. You know, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that totally. new wave of traditional. It's it's uh-huh. cool, you know, and, you know, I dig it. But that the, the way the old stuff sounds, like, you can just hear this just fresh rawness to it. And, you know, that's what I think about Fistful of Metal. It, it's, it was fresh and raw, and it was something very new back then. And Eternal Champion is such a good name for a, a, a metal band. Dude, I, I that it's because of that name. band, I went and f- I was obsessed with Michael Moorcock, the the writer forever. So yeah. I was like, I'm gonna go find this. And luckily, I went to the comic book store a couple weeks ago for the first time, and I found uh, Michael Moorcock's The Eternal Champion book. And I was like, I gotta get this oh, finally. Oh, that's you know, awesome. so dude, speaking of good names of bands, have you heard um, Unleash the Archers? No, that sounds very familiar though. Yeah, they're from they're from Canada. Um just check out like their just check out their their last two albums. I mean, 
all the records are good, but their last two are are exceptional, exceptional. And as I think they're probably the best uh, sort of power metal band uh, out there right now. Um, I mean, there's other good ones, of course, but they're they're I think they're the best. Um, but yeah, I saw them. Uh, I saw them a couple of years ago with Helion Prime, who's also another really good. Um, another really good uh, power metal band. Um, but uh, uh, Unleash the Archers, man, are, are there's something else. They're, they're really, really something else. I'll definitely check that out, dude. Like, uh, like I said, I love more. I mean, I still love like the, you know, black metal was like a big part of my life. And um, I just kind of like, just kind of like grown, just, disattached to it it's just kind of like not something i listen to as frequently anymore as much as i still like respect the 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 way the music is done like lo-fi and very stripped down i have a right i've always recorded music so i've always kind of had this you know um affinity for the way they record stuff but like i said like you know i I love the i love heavy metal now i love just i've always loved it but i just really really dig the way the riffs are i'm actually working on a heavy metal project right now like the solo one like i've just been recording like little oh cool stuff here and there so um yeah yeah man i'm totally totally gonna check that out i love that stuff yeah dude yeah so uh any um you said death metal so like what are some big big death metal bands that you really dig i mean sure there's a million uh, (laughs) i I mean the, the the big three for me are uh atheist love cynic. atheist fuck you cynic's awesome too <laughs> cynic and death and, you know and they're all so closely tied together because they were all out they all had their they're all out around this all depths the oldest of the three but they were all out around the same time they and the same out. area too because you mean you same got, area same you know, geographically yeah that dude and the um, cool thing is i grew up around um obviously fucking 10 12 years later after all this but um, you know, I grew up in, um, like Tampa and St. Pete. So like I, there was still like the, a lot of the people I mingled with were like people that had like encountered that scene as it was developing back in the late yeah. 80s and early nineties, you know, and it's fucking awesome. Yeah. It was super cool. Like, um, that atheist God, I'm fucking so such a good band, man. Um, never, just, yeah, never just, been anything like it really. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And like, you know, uh, um, yeah, they're 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 um, I mean they're they're really up there. They're one of my favorite bands. Um, uh, but those three, uh, I really like Decapitated from Poland. Um, I mean, there's so many. I love Mashuga. They're not really death metal, but um, I love Mashuga a whole lot. Like um, good genty, like you know, groovy stuff. I mean, they they they're the they 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 you know people they have an unfair rap because there's probably no band that has spawned and influenced so many shitty bands dude but they um, yeah they changed the game they made up that sound incredible. you know yeah, yeah they're fucking incredible you know yeah, yeah. um and that you can't you can't you can't sort of penalize them you know for doing what they did and then or doing what they do because then a lot of people fucking adapted it and made it fucking terrible you know um so uh, um yeah those those uh those bands are fucking great, man. I mean, there's so fucking many, dude. There's so fucking many bands that I fucking love. Wormed. 
You ever heard Wormed? Fuck yeah, dude. Wormed, yeah, dude. God. Spanish, dude. Fucking, yeah. God, they're so fucking dude, good. Dude, I used know? to love Worm. I used to listen to them all the time, man. I haven't God, I haven't thought of them forever, dude. They were yeah, they were they were like the best of that guttural like uh stuff that was going on at the time like there was like a big guttural wave like going on like yeah so like you know like you had like devourment and like worm like the slam sound so yeah 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 yeah, yeah i Dude, definitely speaking of, love, speaking love of slam have you, have you heard that new uh well no, no, it's not new new but that um that newish afterbirth album no no last, last, but I, I, I was like reading something about that like uh some article about it but yeah I, i'd never listened to it dude it's 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 real good it's like it's like progressive slam right like it's like um so it has the sort of that brainlessness of of slam that <laughs> yeah it's you like want, you know just a real fucking like mindless it's like convict it's, music man like that's always yeah. how i described slam <laughs> but it's but it's super technical yeah. and there's like a real sense of melody to a lot of it and it's it's kind of amazing Oh, dude, the other band I should have fucking mentioned because, you know, is um, uh, Ass Suck. Do you know them? Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love Ass Suck, dude. Yes. I mean, Ass Suck is like maybe the greatest band of all time. They were like a pioneer, too. You know, they don't get enough, um, definitely don't get enough credit, uh, you know, for, you know, being what they are, I guess. Yeah, fucking, you know, fucking. grindcore death yeah. metal or kind of hybrid dude i was uh i was i was i was uh near my house one day i was uh i was uh, out for a walk with my daughter and uh i was wearing a um defeated sanity t-shirt and this truck pulled up to the stop sign and i looked and the fucking driver had on an ass suck shirt and i was like Dude, and I was fucking pointing to his shirt, and he was like, "Dude," and he was pointing to my shirt, and I was like, <laughs> "It was like this fucking moment where we were like, what? Like, how often do you fucking not live in Florida and see somebody in a fucking ass suck shirt, you know?" Um, but uh, it was uh, that was a, that was fucking that was a fucking funny moment. So, are you from? Are you like from New York area, right? I mean, is that... I'm fr- I'm I'm from Georgia, actually. Really, really, yeah. yeah. Damn, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm from Georgia, and I went to. Um, I went to grad school in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, that's pretty cool. Lived, <laughs> Did you I ever see there. the love, like Lovecraft stuff there or anything like that? His grave. God. Uh, <laughs> so jealous. No, but I'm, 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 I'm very familiar with the, uh, I'm very familiar with the, uh, with the city and the area. Um, but, uh, yeah, I went to school there and then I, I moved to New York in, in 2004, but um, speaking of Providence, did you read the Alan Moore book Providence? No, no, and I know they're doing a Kickstarter to like bring it out. But I, like, uh, I have this uh, uh, man. It's like an out of print book I got randomly, dude. So cheap. Uh, um, what is it? Uh, Yagoths and Yagoths and other growths, and it's like yeah, all yeah. Alan Moore's like scripts and like short comics and stuff. Yeah. Um, all Lovecraftian stuff, man. It's fucking out of this world, dude. And like, I don't know how I got it for like thirty bucks. That shit goes for like a hundred on ebay but very rare find but yeah i saw that they're doing um the province uh yeah the providence thing so i'm very very excited about that i never got to never got to read it dude you you, you, you i heard it's amazing it. it's it's unbelievable it's it's like um it's infuriatingly good if that makes sense like as a as a reader and i'm just like how is it so fucking good you know um 
but uh yeah it's uh it's 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 uh it's incredible it's incredible uh but yeah i, I highly recommend it and then there's a book that came before it called um uh neonomicon that like sort of is a and a book called the courtyard that are both um kind of precursors to uh, providence um i just i highly recommend all that shit man it's providence especially it's just like uh there's like a um I mean, Providence is like, it's so fucking deep. There's so much happening on every page and every panel. And in fact, there's like, um, there's like a panel at the beginning of the book. So I think it's maybe the first or the second issue. Um, when the main character is arriving in Providence and he's like getting off the train and you can see the sign on the wall of the, of the train terminal behind him. It says Providence, but the uh, character's head is covering the letter I. Right. Um, so it's like removing the eye from Providence or removing himself from Providence or something. And you start thinking about it and you're like, oh, that's a cool little coincidence. And then you're like, no, no, that's fucking intentional because you look on every single page and there's shit like that. Right. It's uh, yeah, it's it's a fucking it's a astonishing fucking masterpiece. Uh, it's up there with um, I would say um, uh, from hell, Watchmen and Providence are like. Uh, you know, equals in terms of um, in terms of uh, uh, Alan Moore sort of masterworks. I definitely am going to have to look that up. Uh, I'm going to have to buy that because <laughs> that sounds awesome. Uh, and you know, I've heard and talk about va- and talk about value. It's like twelve issues, but they're all like oversized. Like it's uh, it's really something else, man. It's it's a really uh, it's a really impressive book. I um I I'm a big I am a big Alan Moore fan, and as much as uh. I I read a lot of uh 2000 AD like a uh, lot of yeah. uh, old issues. I have like stacks, dude, that I just still I, I can't awesome. get through, you know. Um, but I bought the com- um compilation, the compendium of uh all the uh, future shocks and oh nice, yeah, a, yeah, a lot of I don't, I don't actually have that. Yeah, it's all there's a fuck ton of them, but I got the ones from the you know the very first issue in like 77 to like 83, and so this is like early Alan Moore stuff. I, I mean, his stuff is probably it's some of the best, man. Um. He's always got this great, like, stylized wit to him that all mm-hmm. the other writers are just basically like kind of like tales from the crypt, uh, yeah. PC comic yeah. mockeries. But he doesn't. He kind of brings in this new attitude, and you can see it's like right at like around like maybe like eighty one, eighty, and so things just start the writing just starts you know getting totally flipped, and um, it's something I really I, I've always you know Alan Moore's big inspiration as much crap as I talk about him like nowadays just for you know whatever but um still still got like a place in my heart for everything that he's done you know what i mean yeah, especially I'm, a great writer yeah i mean he 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 like probably my two biggest like influences in in terms of writing comics um are him and uh, uh brian azarello uh, brian azarello man he was at a comp the last convention i went to and I wimped out on meeting him. <laughs> I was uh, like, dude, I'm going to go talk to him. And I was like, nah, I'm not going to it. I just passed him by. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I know him a little bit and, um, he's, a he's a, he's a fucking, he's a real fucking smart dude. And, um, he's just a, a really good writer. Like I don't get, um, I don't really get, you know, fucking, I don't get fucking celebrity struck or anything like that, but I definitely always get a little like, nervous when i talk to him because uh it just because he's so good he's just such a big influence on my stuff you know um 
but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, those two guys, I just think like they really do something special with comics and they do something that nobody else does, you know, Um, like, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of people who can write good comics. Um, but there are very few people who, how do I put this? There's a lot of people who write for comics, but there aren't a lot of people who write comics, meaning a lot of the comics that come out are basically just screenplays. Right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, or they're TV scripts. Right. But like, there's so few writers that really just take advantage of the comics medium and actually write comic books. You know, there's, there's a few, but, um, but those two guys I think are, are two of the ones who, who really, who really see the potential, you know? I totally agree. I think that especially comics nowadays, I've said this before, I've been saying this to a, a few people we've, you know, been discussing comics. Um, and I, I say comics now, and I think, the first time I ever thought about it is when I talked to James R. O. Barr is that he said, you know, and it kind of influenced how I, I believe it, you know, comics now are written to, you know, make movies, really. Yeah. <laughs> they're written, yeah. written to make a TV series. Um, yep. They're written to sell to a, its rights to a streaming place, to sell options, you know. Yep. And and I feel yep. like that's what every comic writer's goal is. And Yep you don't get people that have the same love for comics as I feel like before, you know, comic movies were being made left and right. And after the boom happened after like, you know, X-Men and Spider-Man came out. Um, I feel like things really changed and that's my biggest problem with comics nowadays. I'm like, this is just sounds like a TV series. It reminds me of a TV series. It's always like you could turn it into something on Hulu or Netflix. So um, yeah, I think I think a lot of times, you know, you see like the pitch for a comic and it's like it's Pokemon meets Mad Max. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah. You're like that was written to sell the movie rights based on the log line alone, you know, or, or you read it or you read a comic and it's basically like you read a comic and it's basically like, oh, yeah, this was a pitch for a movie it doesn't even live up to the promise of it's like one, like of it's fucking tagline, you know? And I think like for me personally, right? Like if true cult gets made into a movie or a TV show or something, right? Like I don't give a fuck. The only thing I care about is that I get a check that allows me to make more comic books. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like the, the rest isn't, uh, the rest is, is like, you know, the rest I could, I couldn't, I couldn't care anything about, right? Like, yeah, do what you want with it. Do what you want with it. You can, you can, you can turn it into whatever you want. I don't care. I just want the check so that I can make more books. I have a hard time even watching. Like, okay, I love Preacher. Couldn't watch the show. Couldn't even watch it. Uh, couldn't even get through like I, the I, first like episode. I was like, I tried three or four times. I was like, oh, I love this. I love the first, you know, like first run of that, the first 12 issues. I was like, wow, it's fucking one of my favorites. And I was like, I just yeah. don't even like the show. Show's yeah, <laughs> I'm right there with you, man. I didn't really find it very interesting. Um, it just didn't do much for me. But, but you know, again, like you know, if if you get some fucking you know, some fucking cash, so you can like you know make not that Garth is like needs the money to do more comics. He can do a comic wherever he wants, you know. But, um, but you know, for for someone like me, right? Like, if that gives me the money that I can, you know 
be able to do more books, then that's what I want to do, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I I think, like, my favorite era for comics is especially, like, I feel like the 80s was, like, though when I started reading comics from the 80s as, you know, I grew up, sure, you did too, we talked about this, you know, picking up the shelves, off the shelves at the department stores, you know, it's like, get your DC, get your Marvel, yeah. read your Spider-Man and Batman, have fun with that. But I, I started reading Wizard Magazine um, when I was younger, and it showed me, like, all these other cool, you know, like, deeper comics, you know, like, like doing, like, articles on them and stuff, you know. And that's, that's really what got me into stuff is, like, the 80s stuff, like Frank Miller and Alan Moore. Those are the real big influential things. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that, you know, the fact that, um, you know, like, okay, for ex- example, uh, the... Give Me Liberty by Frank Miller. It's like one of my favorite yeah, yeah. comics ever. The fact yeah. that they haven't like, you know, optioned that for a movie, it, it just like that just like blows my mind. You know what I mean? Like, and, yeah. and I'm glad though. I'm glad because I don't think it needs to be read other than a comic, you know? Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't, I don't really see movies based on comic books. Um, I mean, if if you want to know the last Marvel movie I saw when it was new, right, was the second X Men movie from what was that like ninety seven or ninety eight or something? No way, that's the last one you that's, saw. That's the last one I saw. Damn. You know, like I just I don't I I'm not interested. It it doesn't interest me when I go in the comic book store and people are all standing around talking about the movies. It's just I couldn't be I couldn't be more bored. You know, I love comic books. And for me, that's the height of the, that's the height of the, of the, of the art form, you know, like making it into something else. It's not a comic book anymore. Now it's a, you know, cause like the thing is like, right. Like I like Batman as much as the next guy, I like Superman as much as the next guy. But as soon as you take a real dude and put him in a fucking Superman costume and put him on a screen, he looks fucking ridiculous. Yeah, you yeah, know? exactly. Like, yeah, totally. It's fucking moronic, you know? So it's like, you know, I, I can't really, I mean, I like. You know, I've seen Akira. I like the fucking, you know, that's based it's on. It's animated the, though, like, like you know. Yeah, it's a little different, I guess. It's animated, but you know, um, I mean, look, I'm sure I like, I like, I like those. I like some comic movies, especially like I, when I saw Spider Man, I was you know fucking twelve years old, the first one, and it was like a big thing for me. But I was also obsessed with comics. I was, I was literally like obsessed. That's like all I thought about. So it was a very big, important thing for me when I was 12 years old to see that. And then, you know, as I get older, I I loved The Dark Knight. But you know what the biggest problem of The Dark Knight was in Batman? I hated fucking Batman. I liked the normal characters (laughs) in the movie. But seeing, like, seeing Batman in the suit and stuff, and I'm just like, dude, you look dumb. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, but, you know, I, I I love the comic book movies for what they are. Um, I don't really like a lot of the newer Marvel movies. I kind of hate the DC movies. Um, but you know, I watch I watch the Marvel movies with my kid and stuff. He really enjoys them, you know, and he's four. So <laughs> if yeah, that sure. says anything about the the audience and the the kind of you know mental stimulation that those movies have, you know, that's that's you know. Yeah, that, I mean, look, if, if that's if, it. If my daughter, if my daughter was like, "Hey, I want to watch Daredevil. Will you watch it with me?" Yeah, I'd watch it with her. You know. Yeah. But, yeah. I'm not going to watch it on my own, you know. But, you know, given a choice between, um, you know, Once Upon a Time in the West or uh, 
you know, Black Panther, I'm going to watch Once Upon a Time in the West, you know, and that's right, just right. always what it's going to be. I'm always going to watch kind of the more deep cut flick over that or, you know, I'm not, I'd rather read, you know, like I said, I'd rather read something more obscure or original than, you know, the new, you know, cosmic ghost rider or whatever, you know? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we were talking about Brian Azzarello. D- did you read Moonshine? Oh yeah. I loved Moonshine, man. I, I loved Moonshine. That's a good one. Um, oh yeah. I'm trying to think of another, uh, uh, did you ever read Redlands? That was, um, it wasn't Azzarello, but it was just another image, like creator owned one. It was really good. I didn't, I did not read that. Yeah. I mean, I read, it's the funny thing about comics, right? It's like with anything or with any, with any kind of appreciation of any art, like as much of it as I consume, it only makes me realize how much I still have left to read that I haven't read, you know? It's overwhelming, dude. There's so yeah. much comics out. That's the same with music too, you know? Same oh, with yeah. like, you know, you're never going to listen to all of it, dude. That's that's why I kind of stopped listening to like a lot of black metal and stuff. I'm like, because there's so much. There's so much obscure shit out there. There's so much in how much of it stands <laughs> yeah. on its own. Yeah, like, are you buying, you know, you know and you, a lot of this stuff doesn't have, like, you can't read a preview of it, you can't listen to a preview of it, you gotta just, you know, have a leap of faith and buy something, and it's like, is it worth it in the end, you know, so it's it's overwhelming, you know, you get to a point where you kind of shut down and you just kind of stick with what you know, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, we've been going for hour and 45 minutes man do you have any um yeah there's there's a zero percent chance that anybody is still listening but uh, i had a good time talking to you. <laughs> yeah yeah that was that was i'm i might go back and like edit some stuff i usually don't i usually just leave it raw but usually i mean this is like a very extended conversation so um fuck it leave it raw man who yeah, cares if yeah. somebody doesn't want to listen they don't have to fucking listen why are you gonna put the effort in you know you're right that that's a very good point i'm gonna stick with that i think but before we go dude do you have any like do you want to tell everybody about True Cult and where you can get it and, you know, how they can, you know, read your stuff or any new stuff that you got coming out? Yeah, I mean, just you can, you can, uh, my website is scottbrianwilson.com. That's with a Y. Um, and I'm on Twitter at, at scottbrwilson and Instagram at, at scottbrianwilson, again with a Y. Um, so you can get me there. Um, what do I have coming out? Um, I have a graphic novel from Dynamite that is not yet announced, although I think it's going to be announced in the next uh, maybe two months. Um, I have a new series from DC coming out that's going to be announced, I hope, soon. Um, I'm kind of waiting to hear. Um, We thought it was going to be out in January, but I I don't think that's going to happen. Um, uh, And um, otherwise, uh, True Cult, which you can't get right now because the Kickstarter is over, but um, it will have a it will have a larger life um, down the road. Um, but there will be uh, there will be more uh, about that at some point. Uh, and otherwise, just some, doing some creator own stuff that will be out uh, when it comes out. So you know the uh, the life of the comics creator is working you know for years sometimes on things and not being able to talk about them. So. Um, but uh, but yeah, if you like my stuff, I just on Comicsology, there's there's things available, um, and uh, you know, there's always there's I'm always in gravely unusual as well. So, um, I mean, I've been I which I am uh, very uh, appreciative of and and uh, and lucky. All right, dude, I want to thank you for 
hanging out and talking to me, man. Um, this was awesome. Of course, man. We'll, we'll definitely do it again. Um, maybe we can team up on something else uh, in the future. So, uh, great. Yeah, I will talk to you later, man. Thanks for coming on.